0: Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we are back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And today, my guest is Luana Chambers-Lawson. She is the author of A Project Manager's Guide to Grant Writing, and it is the number one new release in nonprofit fundraising and grants on Amazon. So how did you decide to write this beautiful book, Luana?
1: Uh, Thank you so much for having me today, Tiffany. You're amazing. And thank you for having me on to talk about my uh, latest and greatest, I'm just joking, my uh, (laughs) latest work that I am so enamored by. Um, honestly, I have gotten to the point in my entrepreneurial jor- journey where I am uh, very particular as to who I uh, take on as a client at this point. And I think this book was basically my way of saying there's a lot of lessons that I've learned in the grant writing space in particular that I would love for people to be able to read about without having to uh, sit down with me and talk for about eight hours. Uh, so I wanted to give people a, a, basically a condensed version of some of those lessons learned and some of the uh, biggest points, biggest takeaways that I think really just are the gifts that keep on giving, right? I mean, once you sort of understand and master a lot of what's in this particular ebook, um, I think you'll be able to to feel that you're a little bit more so predisposed for success rather than failure, which is what we see More times than not in grant writing pursuits. So I don't want those to continue to be frivolous. I don't want grant writing in and of itself to be this, um, you know, very mystical and very, um, uh, I guess the better way of saying it is a a thing, an endeavor where you can waste a lot of time and a lot of energy if you're not exactly sure as to how to, you know, go about it. I want it to help people all over the world, anywhere in the world. Uh, on their time, really quickly um, understand the importance of total system buy-in as it relates to grant writing and understanding all those uh, five very important components uh, of grant writing that I think are going to predispose you for success more often than not if you uh, commit to mastering those five components.
0: So what do you identify as, like, if you were going to say this, this is where you want to start. What's, where should a person who is, is uh, just getting started, where should, where should they go? Besides buying this book, because I personally think that's where, that's where they need to start is get this book and, and get realistic (laughs) about what they're going to (laughs) do. Cause our realistic expectations. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. You're spot on. Part of the and I think that that's why we always say start with the book, because the book at least helps you with figuring out where you need to start. Right. Um, And I think for a lot of organizations, a lot of individuals who who pick this up, what they're going to want to really start with is their why. You know, I think it boils down to starting with your why. Why are you trying to pursue a grant? Why are you trying to pursue um, any funds from anyone, right? This is all about investment. I think people get away from the simple fact that most all that we do is within a marketplace, right? We've got buyers and we've got sellers. So what is it that you're selling and why do other people uh, need to care about that? And why should they invest in it? You know, and if you can't really answer those questions, uh, then again, the book is where you need to begin. But if you do have an answer to those questions, and it really is about your passion and your fervor and and some of your lessons learned that you've gathered because you've done this work and you've done it without support, you know, again, go back to this book, because I think this book will help you um, begin to understand how important your work is uh, to the ecosystem that you're within and how you should scale that work. Um, in a more sustainable and growth-oriented fashion.
0: I, I fully agree with you because uh, for us, uh, grant writing, your grants are really important to what you're doing in terms of, of uh, being able to execute your vision. Uh, but if, if your foundation, the foundation of your foundation, if, if the financials, if the, the processes and procedures aren't right, there's not a point in going and asking somebody to give you money that you then will not be able to execute around and use. So uh, when you say, and you know, one of the first things you say in the book is that there's far more to grant writing than just writing a grant. (laughs) You know, uh, can you explain that to our audience? Because we have lots of people who are, who want to start a nonprofit who want who are working with with nonprofits uh and they need to understand like what the scope of this
1: is mhm i agree so in this book what i love about it two things this image makes me very happy uh because I it's very it inclusive, inclusive. <laughs> And, and what it is, is this is the cover of our book. It says, read this book if you want to master grant writing. And on the cover of it, it's got the five components we were talking about. Uh, governance, staging the entity or readying the organization, collaboration, uh, project management, and digital inclusion. And when you think about uh, demystifying and disentangling grant writing, those five components are what come into play, right? If you want to Better understand what all grant writing entails, you have to sort of approach it like a teacher does uh, a classroom, you know, in order for you to deliver the best instruction possible. You have to have a handle on what your tools are, you know, how That's much right. bandwidth do you have? How many devices do you have in the classroom? Um, what is the literacy rate of the students that you're teaching? You know, can they understand the subject that you're teaching and the language that you speak? Right. And if they can, then what's the competency levels? You know, do you need to be teaching this at if you're teaching 12th graders, do you need to be teaching at an eighth grade level? Um, you know, and so all those different things come into play in the classroom, all the emotional intelligence uh, components. And that's really what this is about. It's taking us. Uh, we're diving into the soft skills that are required uh, for grant professionals, for project managers, superior project managers to be superior. You know, it's all about your soft skills. It's not enough to just have uh, some really awesome hard skills. You know, you know, accounting, for example, uh, you understand finance, uh, you understand um, uh, computer science, uh, you understand, uh, you know, how to code and things like that. All those things are great. But without the soft skills, uh, they really mean nothing. So that's what this book is about, is identifying uh, the ecosystem that which you function within, but then also identifying the skill sets that you're going to need as part of a member of a grant writing team uh, to take your idea, business, your service to the next level.
0: And talk about a team, uh, because you find people all the time who think that that they can just sit in a corner and write a grant on their own, and uh, it, it Talk about why a team is important.
1: Well, for one part of that, uh, most grants, most all grants are gonna require financials. They're gonna require for you to Uh report on the organization's uh, programmatic budgets as well as their organizational budgets. And as a grant writing professional, Uh, you know, especially if you just got hired to write some grants for an organization, you are not going to be able to fabricate that information, okay? If you fabricate Mm -hmm. that, you can go to jail. (laughs) So that means that you need to have a good relationship with the accountants, (laughs) uh, (laughs) the bookkeepers, whoever that. I hope not. I I hope
0: people aren't trying to do that.
1: (laughs) I'm just saying, I know people that have fabricated financial documents before. They're like, oh, I didn't know that was a part of this. Yes, and also your nonprofit boards, right? You and I have talked about this time and time again. Tiffany, by the way, y'all, if you want anything nonprofit, hit hit up Tiffany. Tiffany can help you with your boards and all that good stuff. She's an expert. This is what we're talking about, right? With grant writing pursuits, Mm -hmm. your nonprofit boards have to be 100% invested, and that does mean financially, right? And so when you're talking about grant writing, guess what? Grantors are going to ask you, that's your first question. Who's on your board? Why are they there? Are they diverse and inclusive? Uh-huh. Prove it. Do they, do they uh-huh. look like the people that you serve? Yeah. Right? And do they, they see they financials every quarter? All do those things have, are going to come into your grant writing process. You know, if you're as a, as a grant writing professional, you're not, if you're not an entrepreneur, if you're hired to work within that organization and you're not an entrepreneur, then you are not going to be a good grant writer. If you're hired as a contractor to write grants for that organization and you're not you know, able to work with every team member that's there, every single person from the receptionist all the way up to the board chair. If you're not able to get a handle on what exactly is happening, where people need the most help, that's what you're there for, you're there to help. You know, you're not an auditor. You're not this big bad boogie person from the IRS. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're a grant writing professional who's there to figure out with confidentiality and integrity uh, how this organization is doing and how they can do better. That's your job, right? that's where the superior project management skills come into play. And that's exactly what this book is going to, with case studies, with examples, we show you how to do just that. I
0: love that case study model because, uh, the, uh, my favorite place, of course, you know, I love Harvard and they do case study models. Like every, every time I'm doing anything with them, certification, any sort of little, little, uh, project, um, that's that's the model that they teach with is case studies, and I I just feel like it it resonates really well with students. People understand something when when there's a, a clear cut example of what it is and how to uh, how to actually execute through a problem by seeing it basically from the the ten thousand foot view of of uh being on the outside looking at 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 an organization navigate the problem. So I I just love that about the way that you put your book together because it's it's written just like like uh a Harvard course would be written. It's written just yeah, like those courses were written. So uh uh that's why I tell everybody they need to pick this book up especially if you're a a uh a budding uh, project manager, you need to pick pick up this book, whether you're going into grants or just project management, it's going to be helpful to you. Anybody that that's interested in nonprofits, um, come back and listen, because we are going to talk with Luana Chambers Lawson a little bit more about her book. And then we're going to find out what's going on with the lady behind the book. Who is who? And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. Hi, I'm Tiffany, host of On the Record with Tiffany. I'm a mom, businesswoman, and healthcare advocate. We provide a space where we discuss business and healthcare transformations and the heroes that fuel both. I'm inviting you to listen in on the conversations with me and my guests that will occur every Thursday night at 8 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. And we're back with On the Record with Tiffany. And this is uh, my friend, uh, Luana Chambers Lawson, and author of a new book, called A Project Manager's Guide to Grant Writing. And uh, I just think it's excellent for anybody who who is trying to get into the nonprofit world. Right now with so much happening, uh, this pandemic, and we see the numbers just going crazy right now. um, Mm -hmm. Everyone is really starting to rethink what is my purpose? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And we're finding all kinds of people that are, you know, the out of the greatest difficulties in life come some of the, the biggest blessings. And I'm seeing people starting nonprofits, standing up for social justice, standing up for, uh, um, just the, the causes that they believe in, better health care, better health care alternatives. Uh, and so a book like this is very timely because many of us have heart and uh, drive, but but not necessarily the skill set to, to go in and start a, a new project like Addressing something as monumentous as healthcare, <laughs> you know, but we see people do it left and right. Like right now, we're seeing Ooh. a lot of that because everybody's kind of fed up and realizing that that uh, we're twisted in the wind in some areas, and that's Ooh. that's not anybody's. That's not necessarily someone else's fault. It's just that there's been a gap, a healthcare gap, and and no one's filled it. So. Uh, you know i thought boy this is perfect timing to to let the world know here is how you execute around the great idea that you have so luana i love your five your five pillars uh and i like the fact that it's such a, a an easy read uh because it's a an ebook and it's it's just You can sit there like I actually ended up buying one of those uh, Kindles so that I could read the book. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I need, (laughs) I probably need to move into the 20th century or the 21st. And you know, I got to get to the 20th before I can get to the (laughs) 20. I'm that person who like still likes to hold the book, <laughs> like, holding my book,
1: right.
0: my pages. <laughs> but it's it was really great to be able to uh, just scroll through, read. You can highlight things that you that you like about the book and go back and look at it easily. I mean, there's there are a lot of benefits to to a digital product like that.
1: Yes. I mean and that's one of the reasons I am unlike you I'm I'm a very traditional reader as well but getting that Kindle you know sort of getting out of the comfort zone and I think that that was really the reason why we structured this book to go and and be uh, readable in the Kindle is because we do want people that are reading it to really recognize and understand that this is just scratching the surface right like this you just getting this Kindle and reading this ebook online is the first of many digital activities that you'll have to engage in to make sure that you're engaging in an open source ecosystem, right? Like mm-hmm. the open source ecosystem, all the knowledge that's available, all the information that's available online, we have to be begin to recognize ways to tap into it, right? It's not just something that the programmers and the coders can get access to because they understand the binary all of us can access it. We just have to be able, uh, just be open to accessing that type of information that way. So it's, a lot of us, I think, are still functioning analog in a digital digital world. And it's because we're just comfortable that way. And we should be comfortable that way because at least we know we have control over things um, in an analog world. Uh, but, you know, digital world is going to force us to sort of break away from those comforts. And you see that same sophistication Uh, coming into the grant writing space as well. You know, philanthropy, because especially now with COVID, the need is so profound across the board in so many different areas, you know, uh, so many different sectors that serve people are really needing uh, funding. They're needing dollars. The way that a lot of these philanthropic um, partners and these benefactors are starting to think about getting uh, funds to the most worthy causes is to those organizations who show that they can compete, mm-hmm. and and so it does sort of end up being this sort of self perpetuating model of giving, right? Because you end up giving <laughs> to the people who've always uh, received because they had their financials audited, right? They they've had uh, paid staff, they've had. Um, volunteer programs that were well flushed out and they had uh, development officials on the uh, board. They've had fundraisers, they've had, you know, grant writers, they have, they've had the understanding of what it means to run a business uh for a long time. And so now they're able to compete uh, at an even more sophisticated level. And they're already predisposed to succeed in that, right. Cause they've already been ahead of the game in that area. So now it's just forcing the rest of us, the tide is sort of here and, and we're all just sort of forced to either stay afloat or or take a dive under. Um, and I'm hoping that this book gives people the opportunity to see that that tide is here. It's already been here. We don't want them to drown. We want them to, to be able to stay afloat. Uh, but in order to stay afloat, you're going to have to um, begin to Become comfortable, grow familiar with different ways of transacting business. That's right, and, and structurally, uh, how
0: you you structure your foundation is important, not just just uh, if it's a five hundred one three c, but but what are the processes and procedures? What are your bylaws? How are you laying those out? Like from board governance on down your organization has to be airtight because if you're looking for funding, especially in today's world where funding has now become uh, incredibly scarce because of, of the fact that, that we're going through a pandemic, we're going through something right now. So, so funding is not uh, just a given. Um, So you, you, you need to be prepared. everything is competitive, but it's not impossible it's just just that uh accurate and well thought out plans are what you what has to be presented in order to to uh find success with with uh fundraising but uh, executing your your goals and your plans and scaling those goals and plans up, turning them from more than just something that's on paper, and, but into an actionable, executable plan, uh, that's gonna require money. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. It's, and, and you know, um, this is the first volume. The second volume, I wanna talk more about uh, tactical planning because I think we, you know, nonprofit especially, we understand strategic planning. But we don't understand tactical planning and tactical planning, the distinction has to be made because now we're looking at quarters, right? We're not planning for five years, 10 years. We're planning for quarter after, after quarter after quarter and how we plan that. I mean, we're looking at weeks, you know, 13, 15 weeks uh-huh. um, and, and, and readdressing those and reevaluating those goals. Um, I think that we have to begin to get comfortable with that now, especially because of COVID-19, you know, that's a whole other um, area of of gray for a lot of grant writing professionals as well, because a lot of the grant writing professionals that you're going to meet, they are again functioning, um, they're analog functioning in a digital world. You know, a lot of the folks that I work with, I'm like, it's not like that anymore. I know it was like that 20 years ago, you could write a letter. Uh, to, right. the, to the H-E-B foundation <laughs> and, <laughs> and, now, and they were and paying attention, you
0: know? Yeah, but it's not the, and now you're dealing with places like H-E-B, like Blue Cross and Blue Shield, like like the Ford Foundation and they operate on quarters and uh, they need to see uh, an ROI. They want a return on investment. A lot of non professionals don't even know what an ROI is. Like you say ROI, and they're like, "What?" You know. So, so, mm-hmm. and we have to start thinking in terms of that because those—that's a real, uh, very important piece of the business model. Because often we're going to be talking to people who are, are business professionals and they're successful business professionals. HEB is a very successful business. So, when you walk in the door to HEB you need to understand quarters and, and, and uh, being able to give out uh, what your metrics were and, and have you met them. Everyone wants to see uh, what, you've, what you've accomplished. And, and it's not just that feel good accomplishment, but it's, it's also how is this impacting the community and what is it doing in terms of making the lives of the people better, healthier, reducing costs for our community. Those things have to be a part of what your your uh of of what your plan is. That's what I like about your your book is that it actually is waking up the nonprofit professional to things that that uh they probably haven't thought about. Especially mm-hmm. if it's a if it's a person that's just starting out. Uh, And and that's the truth also for many established nonprofits that are just that are really wonderful, uh, have wonderful missions and vision, but uh, hadn't necessarily thought about some of the components that you have uh, in this book. So I have to tell everyone that they need to go and pick up a project manager's guide to grant writing uh, by Luana Chambers Lawson. Because if you are doing, if you are thinking about starting up a, a nonprofit, if you're working in a nonprofit, or if you are a grant writing professional, this is a wonderful book for you because it's going to give you some guidance and some tips that you probably hadn't seen before. So you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany and come on back because Luana and I are going to talk about her. This is a very interesting young woman who has uh, come from nothing and is at the top of her game, doing the most and in the best way. <laughs> so, come back and let's have a listen to a real Shiro, somebody that inspires me and everybody else that surrounds her, Luana Chambers Lawson, and you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany.
1: Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better.
0: During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. Well, I'm back with uh, Luana Chambers Lawson as Tiffany Smith on the record with Tiffany. Um, Luana, so tell our audience about you. um, I know you don't like talking about yourself, but this is (laughs) I'm going to brag on you a little bit. This is is uh, one of the the best young nonprofit professionals. And, you know, you're also out there just killing it uh, in the investment world, too. I hate even trying to pin you down and put you in a box like, oh, she writes grants, but because you do far more than that. So uh, that's just one thing that you do that, that you're uh, blessing all the rest of us with. But you also, uh, with your investments, I, I mean, I really think you just teach people all around all, a lot of different things that they can do with their lives. And you have a podcast. And you have, I mean, like, what else, girl? What are you doing? And and you're on this board and that board. And you started, I mean, I don't know if we have enough time to talk about all your stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I am, uh, well, thank you. Uh, I'm always, I get teary when I think about these things, but thank you. I um, I mean, I I guess the best way to describe myself is, um, you know, I was that kid that, I was blessed to have both parents. Um, you know, we had a car accident and that car accident changed all of our lives. You know, my father is a paralyzed veteran. Uh, he's a Marine Corps active duty Marine Corps before we, he got hurt, uh, broke his neck and, um, severed his spinal cord. And so he, you know, he and my mother went through quite a bit. My mother also got hurt pretty bad in the car accident. And, um, you know, I was in the front seat. My dad was holding me down uh, as the, we had a blazer at the time, a Chevy blazer. And we were, we had traveled from uh, California to see my aunt in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, I think she, well, it was either, we were either going to Norfolk. I still get the story mixed up because I forget. But we were either going to Norfolk, Virginia, or we were going to DC. I think, I can't remember if her husband was stationed at Walter Reed at the time or if he was stationed at the amphibian base in Norfolk but we were traveling there and um, on I-64 is where we hit a patch of ice and the Chevy Blazer uh, rolled like at least seven or eight times and as it was rolling my mom got ejected from the back seat of the Blazer um, she was an inch away the cops told me she was an inch away from falling into the James River I'll never forget that oh, and yeah, I remember as a kid I was just like where's my mommy? And my dad, he was holding me down. I was like five, I think four or five. I always forget. And my dad was holding me down. And as he was holding me down, um, he, you know, his head was hitting the top of the car, roof of the car. And so he broke his neck, severed the spinal cord. And I just remember waking up to all these white lights, you know, and I could see my dad sort of like mangled and twisted up into like the steering column in the blazer and i just remember looking back and there was nothing but like the mashing like the whole ceiling was down and i just remember looking back and i didn't see my mother and i just freaked out And so i was just sitting in the passenger seat and i was looking out the window because i was stuck and the cop was like banging on the window he was like are you okay and you know it was just like i don't even remember what happened next but i just remember i was outside of the blazer And I said, where's my mom? And at first the cops said, I don't know. And they were like, we haven't found her. And I I just remember like my whole, like, because me and my mom were very close when I was growing up because my dad, you know, he's Marine Corps. uh, He managed the store. And so he was always gone. You know, he was never really home. uh, And he was a drill sergeant. So, you know, he was always, he was always out. And I just remember I used to spend so much time with my mother. And when they couldn't find her, I just, I felt like, like at that point, I felt like I'd lost both of my parents. Like I thought, I felt like they were both dead. You know what I mean? Like my dad was mangled up unconscious and I couldn't, I didn't know where my mother was. So I thought at that moment that I was an orphan, you know? And so I was just like, and and then, you know, you fast forward. I stayed in the Ronald McDonald house. Um, while my parents were, were getting it back together, my mother didn't recognize me. I'll never forget. I always tell her the story. We both cry, <laughs> but <laughs> When she was in the hospital, I walked in to see her for the first time since the car accident. I don't know how much time had gone by. And I walked up to her bed and I said, Mommy. And I, re- I had my arms reached out. And she did not know who I was. She said, oh Who is that? And I'll never forget that. She said, Who is that? And the nurse had to tell her that's your daughter. And then my grandmother came in. And she went to her mother and said, mommy. And then she was like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was a threat at that point. Like I was threatening to take love away from her. Right. Or something like that. It was very odd. And I just, I tell her that story till this day. And she she always looks at me and she's like, I'm so sorry that that happened. I don't remember any of that. Right. Neither of my parents really remember a lot from that time, but You know, you fast forward, and I say I was blessed to have both of them because even though I always say at that point I lost a bit of both of my parents because of the car accident, you know what I mean? We're not, none of us were ever the same again after that. The thing that my father told me, I'll never forget, he was laid on his bed because, you know, his spinal cord was severed and his neck was broken. So he was laid on his bed, stretched out, looking up at the ceiling, and he said to me, what you, need to, what you need to know is that you cannot rely on your mother or I. You have to be strong enough to take care of yourself. Just in case something happens to us, you need to still be okay. And it was like it's ever since I'll never forget those words. words yeah. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll never forget that day and just the feeling that I had where I just said, okay, we have to get this together. Like, we have to figure this out. Because Luana, Cause you're like the optimistic
0: person I know. Like you always have a smile on your face. You're always you always have have a a plan B, C, D, nice. <laughs> 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 whatever's going on. You know. Wow! Yeah. Talk about it. It's a, because a, of them.
1: Wow! I'm blessed. To, I'm blessed to have them both. You know, I really am. And like just going through life with both of them they are both just brilliant beautiful people you know what i mean and they're both just like me you can't tell them nothing they're gonna go out here if you tell them they can't do it they're gonna find a way to do it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. my dad is you know he's the he's the whiz when it comes to investing he's a huge trader um you know he hasn't worked ever i mean. I don't even remember the last time he worked, you know, before he got hurt, you know, he went to school, put himself through undergrad, graduate school. When I was going through high school, we was both in school together, you Mm -hmm. know, and he's, you know, found his wife, my uh, stepmother, Shelly. She's a CPA, you know, from New York and Mm -hmm. just, you know, they are stable. They are probably the most stable family members So Um, after the accident, he he went on
0: and kind of took control of his life.
1: That's right. Because he was always, you know, my grandfather was, I never met him, you know, sad that I never met my grandfather Curtis. But he had to have been amazing because my father is, I mean, his investment knowledge, his financial knowledge, he got that from his father, you know, and he just imparted a lot of that on me. Um, Cause my grandfather, you know, owned the project building, the building, you know, my, my dad and them, they grew up in Chicago and in Inglewood and that building, my grandfather owned, you know, what? he owned the whole doggone project building. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, what? Uh-huh. I had uh-huh. no idea. And my dad got a lot of his businesses from his dad, you know, he, he was, He he was a a brilliant man. He had a gas station. He had all these different things that Mm -hmm. he owned. And some of the kids got some of that. My dad's the youngest, so, of course, he didn't get that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just... But to see my dad as the most stable still, you know, everyone else got land and this and that and the third, but my dad is the one that everyone turns to when they need something, you know, he's the... And my mom is also like that that to her family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my mom is like that. You know, she's the emotional emotionally uh, on point person, you know, my mom's side of the family, you know, they got the Creole thing going on and they, Mm -hmm. they really struggle with emotions um, and talking about what they've gone through. And my mother is the one who's like, listen, yeah. Incest this, that, that this happened. And she lays it out. And she's like, if you want to talk about it, I'm here. I got you. You know, I love you, you know, nothing against you you were kids, we were kids, you know, like that's how my mom is. She's, she's so strong on so many different levels. So both of my parents are just, you know, they helped me in so many different ways, you know?
0: Powerful story. So. I mean, at five years old to, to kind of realize to, to be told something like you're going to be, have to depend on yourself, but to really actually grasp that and to put your life on a trajectory where you are doing that because that that I mean you you wrote your first book at what 17 18 you were a kid. Yeah, probably like mm-hmm. yeah you were a kid when you wrote that first book um Luana Chambers Lawson you are inspirational to me and to I I believe you'll be inspirational to many people that hear this I want you all to come back listen to Luana Uh, because we're going to talk a little bit more about how a person goes from a massive car accident where both parents are severely injured, father's paralyzed, and mom is, is uh, put into a form of arrested development (laughs) there. Uh, And how do you get from that to being, to having, you know, an, being number one in a category in a book for your book on Amazon. Like, how does a person go from that to top of their game? It's worth hearing. And this is an inspirational woman. And we need that right now. We need to hear some inspiration in the midst of all this chaos. That no matter how bad it gets, there's still opportunity. You still have strength and power within you. And Juana's uh, a prime example of that. So come on back and let's, let's talk some more with Luana Chambers-Lawson. You've been listening to
1: On the Record with Tiffany.
0: Hi, I'm Tiffany, host of On the Record with Tiffany. I'm a mom, businesswoman, and healthcare advocate. We provide a space where we discuss business and healthcare transformations and the heroes that fuel both. I'm inviting you to listen in on the conversations with me and my guests that will occur every Thursday night at 8 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And we're back with Luana Chambers Lawson. Uh, So, Luana, when we left off just uh, uh, in the last segment, you told us about the massive car accident that that uh, you and your mom and dad got into. Um, can you tell us how does a person go from from that devastation to being what you are right now, at the top of your game, number one uh, on Amazon in your in your book category? Like, what? How does a person transcend life? when, with such a tragedy befalling them at five years old?
1: I think that for me, growing up, I had a lot of naysayers. You know, I had a lot of people who said, you're not going to be anything. Um, You come from nothing. So you're going to be nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of that. You know what I mean? Like a a lot of that sort of like. Which is terrible. People People shouldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. For real. Um, there was so much trauma, I think for all of us and you know how it is when you're in a really sort of sad state, it's hard to encourage anyone to do anything good because you don't even love yourself. You know, you don't even encourage yourself to do good things. You don't believe in yourself. So I was sort of surrounded by a lot of that type of self loathing you know what I mean? And for me, going to school and meeting other kids, like my brother Dennis, me and him are tight till this day. We met in, in my, I think my freshman year in high school. You know, he was going through a lot of what I was going through at home. You know, his mother was paralyzed. Um, her story was was really sad. You know, she was just this amazing woman, took a shower, slipped and hit her head on the toilet bowl. And, you know, was unable to, to take care of herself, you know, kind of everything just sort of went back where she couldn't speak anymore, like all of that. And that's what Dennis was going through. Um, and it was so, it was so interesting when we met, we were competing against each other, you know, that we were both in, uh, junior ROTC together. And, you know, I was always, every, I was very competitive, you know, always been very competitive. And, you know, he's this, this seven foot, 300 pound kid, you know, he's huge. <laughs> And you got me and I'm like looking up at him and like, suck, I'm going to get you. I'm going to run faster than you. I'm going to do more pull-ups. I'm going to do more push-ups. Like it was always a competition between the two of us. Uh, We thrived on that, but then we got to know each other. And we found out about each other's households and man, like we were both just inseparable till this day. I mean, until I moved away from Virginia, you know, we would see each other like every other day. Um, Right. And so I think when you're a kid, and this is why you know, this whole virtual learning thing makes me so sad for the kids that are coming up, you have to be able to meet other kids who are like you and who are worse off. That is how you live a life of gratitude. I can't frown, right? Like, I can't go. I don't care what I'm going through. Um, I cannot walk around with a frown on my face. I cannot walk around feeling like, oh, woe is me. Why is life so hard? I can never feel like that because I know what it's like to literally feel like you have nothing, but I also know what it's like to be with other people that you love that are way worse off than you are, right? That have uh, all sorts of disabilities, developmental disabilities that they can't get past, you know, right. things that they can't hear, you know, you can't shake it off. <laughs> you know, you uh-huh. wake up every day in pain. My father growing up, He woke up every single day in pain, but he never took pills. My father till this day will not take a pill, but his body, because of his paralysis, you know, he, you can see, I could, when I was a kid, I saw the pain on him. Like I saw this Marine who's a paralyzed veteran get on the floor every morning at 630 AM. Doesn't matter the day he gets on the floor every day and he does his push-ups, Right. And you could visibly see him in pain. You could see the trembles. You could see everything just, you know what I mean?
0: Mm -hmm. he did not
1: care. He would still try to stick to some sort of stimulus of normalcy for him because that was what he was. He was a machine, you know, he was a soldier, right? Like, wow, that was inspiring. But then also you go into school and seeing kids who, you know, one of my closest friends, you know, she was being molested by her uh, mother's boyfriend every night. You know, she ended up getting pregnant by this dude and her mom kicked her out with the baby basically blaming her saying, you know, oh, you seduced my man, right? Like growing up and you see these types of situations. Absolutely. I used to deal with that all the time, right? And then I didn't want to be a girl. Like that was part of the other conversation was like growing up being a girl for me was a weakness. So I had to literally learn. My father had to teach me the beauty of being a woman. He taught me the beauty of being a girl. Like I had to learn that. Right. Because I felt that's a like good dad. <laughs> right. He taught me that. But I felt like all my life that, you know, that wasn't what I wanted to be. And so it wasn't until I became an adult where I was just like, OK, I'm a woman and I love being a woman and that's what it is. And I'm proud. So all of my friends, a lot of my friends that were girls, you know, when I was younger, like Janine and all them, they're very tomboyish like I was. You know, we all kind of were tomboys and had a bunch of guys we hung out with. We do a lot of gaming, you know, a lot of sports and that type of stuff, you know. So that was kind of, I think that's how I got to this place where I was just like, you know, it it was a lot of self-discovery and a lot of opportunity for me to look at other people and say, you know, you deserve better. Let me put myself in the position to where I can help you.
0: Because you're you're always thinking about helping other people. I see that like in the, in your uh, in your personal endeavors, you know, all, the boards that you belong to. You know, you're always doing something to that's going to impact the community at large, not just a feel good moment, but something that's actually going to change the lives of of young people and of of uh people in general in our community, as uh, you know like your work with museums, like your work with the women's group in in Detroit, tell our listeners a little bit about that.
1: yeah, so black women lead is what we're working on in Detroit, Michigan, and uh it's essentially like sixty or seventy of us <laughs> uh, <just laughs> women mostly in Detroit. But what we're doing, we have a campaign. It's a million-dollar campaign. We've already gotten some support from some major foundations and uh, major individual donors, mostly in that uh, Detroit and uh, New York area. Um, But what it is, is it's basically just a fund to support Black women who are leading their own businesses or leading organizations, and they need support. So it's just a way uh, for us to give them funding, without having to jump through a bunch of hoops, which is what you normally see in philanthropic communities and circles. is like, okay, you got to have this and you got to have that. This fund is not going to function that way. It's all about equity uh, and social justice and restorative justice. So we're trying to honor the work and the dedication of the women who we've identified within the community who are going to also identify other women within the community um, that this fund needs to support. So that's what it's about is, is rest and prioritizing rest for black women all throughout the country so that they don't feel like they have to continue to prove themselves uh, in circles where we know that they're doing the good work and they just need somebody to, to have their back to let them know that we care and that we love them.
0: I love that. I like that idea because uh, a lot of like little startups, uh, they need some help you know they don't necessarily you know we know that that uh black businesses don't don't get loans they don't get grants and funding in at the same uh rate as their other counterparts so having some having a place that you can turn to and and present your your uh plan and actually have it heard (laughs) and seen for on its merit is, is a good thing Uh, because often we don't even get to get to the point where we can present that plan where anybody can even see that it, that, that it's a meritorious plan because it's not, you can't even get in, get your foot in the door to do so. So I, I love that. And that's, you know, that's, a part of who you are is just kind of, hey, I'm, nothing's going to stop me. You know, when people are thinking about what, what is an American hero, that's what it is. It's somebody that has the, the strength of character that even in the worst possible moment, they can see a pathway out and start mm-hmm. making their own pathway out. I mean that that is the epitome of what what the American dream is. That's what it is. And it's not something that's limited to one group of people. You're an example of that. You know, and I I just love loved and have enjoyed having you today. And I want to tell everybody to make sure and pick up a Project Manager's Guide to Grant Writing, your new book. Uh but just check out Luana because Luana has some cool stuff happening. Um, you, if you're interested in investing, Luana, what's your, your <laughs> podcast? Tell them about your podcast.
1: <laughs> the podcast is called Real Management Talk with LJ and Jocelyn. Jocelyn VanCone right. is my girl, uh, one of my other partners. And uh, that's the podcast. It's on all of your major platforms. Check it out. Real Management Talk with LJ and Jocelyn
0: real management talk. And it's, uh, you know, that's, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Like you, this is a project manager's guide to grant writing. is just one thing that you're doing. Real management talk is another thing that you're doing. Then you've got uh, the investments that, that uh, you're doing as well with tacit growth strategies. I mean, you're doing something, you're doing like I'm I'm wondering if you're Jamaican because you have like 20 jobs. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure you're Haitian and not Jamaican?
1: <laughs> Close enough, right? Close enough. I got Jamaican relatives on the on my coming side, so yeah. We're the, big uh, I up. What's up. I should have known. I should have known
0: there was some Jamaican somewhere. <laughs> Jamaicans somewhere. Because Jamaicans are known for having like 25 jobs. <laughs> I've got a business for that.
1: <laughs> my husband's Jamaica too, so I guess we got a little bit of, all of that. Oh, oh in there. my
0: god So so I guess he has his own like little empire. He's growing over there too. <laughs> That's right That's right. Well, thank you for being my guest today, Luana. And to my listeners, if I I hope you've enjoyed listening to this uh um San Antonio transplant and uh young Shiro, um uh, one of my personal Shiro's here in, in uh our beautiful city. Uh you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany and just just a little public service announcement. Please wear your mask, social distance, and wash your hands. Wash, wash, wash your hands. And just make sh- let's we're all in this together. There's not a Calvary cavalry coming. We can be we can be the saviors to to our brothers and sisters in this in our community. So wash your hands, socially distance, and enjoy the little things in life. You've been listening to on the record with Tiffany.